everybody, this is Randy Shandeville, and you're listening to This Golden State. Today, we talk to the newest member of California's congressional delegation, Ro Khanna, congressman from Silicon Valley, including cities like Santa Clara, Cupertino, Sunnyvale, and Fremont. There's been a lot of talk lately about the California resistance to Donald Trump among activists, big city mayors, state officials, and of course, California members of Congress, led by Senator Dianne Feinstein and House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi. It's about our country. It's not about Democrats or Republicans. It's about our country. Ro Khanna is 40 years old, and in some ways, he seems more combative than his older, more established colleagues willing to hit the street and get arrested to resist Trump policies. As you'll hear in our interview, protest is part of Kana's DNA. I think there is a point of, of civil disobedience. But since Kana's district includes the headquarters of tech giants such as Apple, Google, Yahoo, LinkedIn, and Tesla, on some issues, including lowering corporate taxes, Kana may have to play ball with Donald Trump. Because I disagree with the people who say we should just say no to everything simply for the sake of politics. Khanna, whose parents immigrated from India, won his seat by defeating eight-term congressman Michael Honda in November. Quick note, at times you'll hear other people talking in the background during the interview. We talked to Khanna during a photo shoot for San Francisco Magazine, which is about to release a special issue on the California resistance. Ro Khanna, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, with regard to Donald Trump, what does the term resistance mean to you? Well, resistance for me is something I think of my grandfather. Uh, He spent four years in jail during Gandhi's independence movement in the 1940s to fight for India's freedom. That freedom movement took 40 years. So Donald Trump, as much as a step backwards uh, as that was, has a four-year term. And resisting something uh, now uh, for four years in a democracy uh, is a far easier challenge than uh, the one my grandfather had, so it, it puts it in perspective. And I, and I think what we need to do is fight for, for our values. Obviously, it isn't as serious a situation as your grandfather faced, but uh, Republicans do control everything. So to resist merely politically may be a tough task. It is, although we managed to resist in 2004 when George Bush controlled all branches of Congress and wanted to privatize Social Security, and we successfully resisted. And the way we resisted that, uh, through Nancy Pelosi and others' leadership, is we didn't just do that in the halls of Congress. It would be a mistake for that to be the approach. We have to mobilize the grassroots in this country and uh, let them know the consequences to some of these disastrous policies. And when you have the people on your side, uh, then it becomes very hard for uh, people in Washington to do things. And so those of us in Washington have to build these grassroots coalitions. I think it's fair to say that most people in the greater Bay Area have serious concerns about the Trump agenda. And a lot of people in the Bay Area would like to block most everything he's talking about. And I think for the most part, from what I hear, you're in pretty much agreement with that. On the other hand, your district represents much of Silicon Valley, and Mm -hmm. some Silicon Valley companies have to at least be somewhat accommodating to the president-elect, do they not? And you, your, your role is a bit more complicated. You represent some companies that need his help. Well, I don't know how much 
the tech, frankly, needs the help of any politician. You know, they're uh, inventing the future at Apple, at Google, at Intel, Tesla, and uh, Washington can only often get in their way. What we need from them, and I think we will see, is standing up for our values. And uh, whether that's in LGBTQ rights, whether it's for uh, civil liberties, whether it's standing up for Muslim Americans and religious pluralism. And I have been impressed by people like Tim Cook, like Mark Benioff, who in the last few years have been more vocal about some of these key social issues, uh, Sundar Pichai at Google, and we're really going to need their voices to also help with resistance. I don't think there is going to be accommodation for any of uh, Trump's agenda that is uh, violating uh, human rights, undermining immigration, undermining the environment, because I those tech leaders don't believe in those things. On the other hand, don't they need some assistance with tax policy? I mean, they have some concerns with tax policy. They don't want to alienate him entirely. And there's the H-1B visa issue. And they do have some concerns that he could affect. They do. And there's, you know, money offshore and, and many people. Anna Ash, who's all often and a lot of Democrats have talked about how do we help bring that money back. But we got to bring that money back in a way that it goes to creating jobs. And the lens has to be, is this going to actually help the middle class, not just bring the money back and have it go into stock buybacks and dividend payouts. What Kana is talking about is something called tax repatriation. Right now, many giant corporations, including tech giants, Apple, Google, Cisco, Microsoft, and Oracle, shelter trillions of dollars overseas because the taxes are so much lower there than the American tax rate. Trump wants to offer those companies a so-called tax holiday to entice them to bring that money back. A lot of these companies have trillions of dollars offshore. They don't want to bring it back at, or can't bring it back from a competitive perspective at a 35% tax rate. And Anna Eshoo and Lofgren and, and Democrats have talked about lowering that rate to 15% or 10%, but making sure if they bring that money back, that that money is invested in creating new manufacturing jobs and hiring more people. When we tried this back in 2004, companies were allowed to bring it back at 5% under George Bush, but all the money went to stock buybacks. They basically bought back their own stock with that money and to paying dividends. And the middle class didn't benefit and no jobs were created. So the devil here is going to be in the details. Uh, if there is a proposal for repatriation that allows these companies to bring the money back, but it's going to allow them to build, open up more factories and create more jobs, there'll be a lot of support for it. If it's going to be, okay, we're just giving a tax break so that you can bring back the money to buy back your stock, and that's going to only help the top 15% or 20% of people who have that stock, uh, then I think you're going to see Democrats resist. And I don't think we'll see what Trump proposes. I'd be surprised if the focus is really going to be on the middle class. You say you're impressed that some Silicon Valley leaders have talked about, you know, resisting some of the things he's talking about. On the other hand, they have been meeting with him. Well, he's the president. The president calls to meet. And I don't know if I would, if they would, should have ducked the meeting. Now, the question is, will they make it very clear where they stand? And my understanding is, when it comes to a lot of these social issues, when it comes to civil liberties, when it comes to immigration, uh, that they will. I would be far more concerned if we saw tech leaders supporting some of Trump's agenda, and so far I haven't seen that. You, unlike some of the Democrats we've talked to in, in recent days, 
actually have advocated some of the same things that uh, Donald Trump has. I, again, I don't, I'm not confusing you with Donald Trump <laughs> or his agenda at all, but you, like he, have talked about term limits for members of Congress. Yeah. You're against uh, TPP. Yes. And uh, you have concerns about abuses of the H-1B visa program yes. as well. Well, but, you know, I mean, uh, Thomas Jefferson may have been for term limits, too. I mean, he said that uh, people uh, ought to come back to the communities they live in and live under the laws they make. Uh, this is an idea. This is it would be uh, absolutely short sighted and wrong to give Donald Trump credit for the idea of term limits. This, this is an idea that goes back to our founders, that people weren't supposed to be in politics for generations. And I think these seats have become lifetime estates. But most people in those seats want to keep them. And I, I think it's fair to say that you are in a minority of those in Congress who are in favor of term limits. That is true. You know, and I've said that I would, uh, I think you have to have two terms in the Senate and uh, six terms in the House, or we can negotiate whether it's 12 years or 14, 16. I mean, but let's have some limit because right now the reelection rate is 90 some percent, 96 percent. And uh, these, again, were, 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 these weren't feudal estates that to be passed from uh, to your own daughter or to your own staffer. There was a huge revolt in this country uh, on both the left and the right against entrenched politics and a, a, a need for change. So I absolutely support term limits. Uh, to, to me, that, you know, the, the fact that Donald Trump may agree with that is like if I say the sky is blue, Donald Trump may say the sky is blue. It doesn't mean that I shared 99 percent of his agenda. But uh, I, I do support term limits. I was opposed to TPP. And again, Trump agrees with that. But so does Bernie Sanders. I mean, it's a TPP was a handout to pharmaceuticals. It would have been disastrous for people around the world who wanted access to life-saving drugs. It was a handout to multinational corporations, to weak in labor and environmental standards. There's a long list of Trump proposals that alarm uh, Democrats here in Northern California. And if you don't mind, let me just uh, yeah. list them off to you. His threat to deport millions of undocumented immigrants. He wants to cut. He wants to cut uh, federal funding to sanctuary cities. He wants to register all Muslims. He's threatening to repeal Obamacare. He wants to drastically reduce environmental restrictions, which would set back the battle against climate change. He's talking about drastically boosting uh, funding for the military, which inevitably would mean less money for other things, including social programs, possibly for the poor. He plans to appoint very conservative Supreme Court justices, and he said he's fine even if that means the repeal of Roe v. Wade, and he calls himself the law and order candidate and supports bringing back police ability to stop and frisk, which many people of color feel disproportionately affects them. Obviously, Democrats in the House and Senate can't stop all of that. So how do you prioritize? What do you try to stop first? Well, it's a scary agenda, and uh, they want to get uh, this extreme agenda uh, through. And I think we have to just talk about common sense, you know, as start with the defense budget. Of our federal budget, 20% of the entire budget is defense, 20%, almost $700 billion a year. Compare that to Iran. You know, they always say Iran is a threat. Iran spends about 8 to $10 billion a year. China is at about $150 billion. Our defense spending is more than the rest of the 20 countries combined. So it is craziness. It is un-American. It is hurting our American economic success for the future to be throwing more money at this. That's what the rest of the world wants while they are spending their money building infrastructure, educating their population. 
and we have to just educate people in this country about the facts. I don't think most people know that we already spend 20% of our federal budget on this. So that's an area where I think we are going to be able to break through uh, in convincing people that that's, that's wrong. Well, the police issue, I mean, the, we've seen that, that that split this country, some of the police brutality, some of the excessive use of force. Uh, I, being uh, Indian American, I, I don't think I've ever come back to this country at an airport where I haven't been subject to extra screening or advanced, uh, you know, more uh, profiling. As, as a South Asian ma- ma- man, you know, if you're between the ages of 20 and uh, 45, you, you stand in that extra line. So I know uh, what this is like. And what I have said is we can't have the militarization of our police force. Policemen and women ought to be community leaders, pillars of a community. They ought to, frankly, be taking more classes in social work and community leadership and rethinking and retraining what the, the function of police offices are. And that's the type of thinking that Democrats have to, to bring to, to Congress. And there are people like Cory Booker and others who I think will help make that case. On the environment, I mean, we are uh, facing existential threat with climate change. And uh, California has, of course, led the way. We've shown that if you create emission standards, you can incentivize new technology and help lower the carbon footprint. And we've just got to keep pushing for that model. And, and, and let me uh, end with this point to the long question is California has to be a laboratory for resistance. The innovative, progressive policies have to come from here, from whoever the governor is, uh, our legislature, so that we can be a model to say, uh, you know, what's going on with Trump, there's a totally diametrically opposite way, and that's what's going on in California. It was a long question, and it was a long list, and that's almost exactly my point, that he is proposing so much, and so much of it so many Democrats find so objectionable. But you're in the minority, and you can't stop all of it. So if you focus on any one thing, something else slips through the cracks. So what are you prepared to let go? What are you prepared on his agenda to let pass while focusing on something else? Well, I think the first thing is the human rights aspect of it. I will, I've told my office, let's help folks who are undocumented. Let's help immigrants. We can't have families be split apart. We can't be inhumane in this country and start uh, deporting people en masse. Uh, we've got to stand up for basic humanity, and we have to stand up for the basic American principle that you don't get judged based on your faith or your heritage. So resisting this idea of a Muslim registry, uh, resisting this rhetoric against uh, immig- uh, immigrants, making sure that we're an inclusive, tolerant America, that to me is the biggest and, and first priority. Uh, and of course, all the other things are also things I'll resist, but if you ask me where am I going to put the bulk of my fight, it's on uh, um, making sure people who don't have a voice in this country, who are being demonized, who face the th- risk of either being uh, singled out or face possible registration or face deportation, that I'm there to stand up for them. Again, it's almost like an avalanche of things that you don't want to hear coming at you from Donald Trump and his supporters you know, in, in his upcoming administration. And you can't fight at all. This must be really scary to you, I would imagine. It is, uh, but but the hope is, first of all, the Congress is, is the most diverse it's ever been in our country's history. The energy and, and grassroots mobilization that people like Bernie Sanders inspired has a progressive movement that is stronger in this country than I think it has been in a long time. So 
I believe Trump is a, an aberration from the, who didn't even win the popular vote, not some governing mandate that's going to dictate the next 50 years of the policies the country wants. The challenge is how much harm can this person inflict in the four, hopefully four years that he has power? And even if we can undo it afterwards, uh, even if we can right the, the ship afterwards, there are a lot of millions of lives that he could potentially uh, destroy or hurt. And uh, that's our biggest, my biggest concern is first protecting those human beings. If he increases defense spending as philosophically opposed as I am to that, and four years later we're able to reduce it again, that's very concerning and it's a step in the wrong direction, but it's not as concerning as if he deports people into splitting up families. That's an inhumane act. So keeping immigrant families here, at least those deserve to be here, that's your number one priority, it, it sounds is. like. It is. It is. It, because his rhetoric against immigrants, his rhetoric against Muslim Americans, his rhetoric uh, against minorities has been so vitriolic, so harsh, so un-American. And those are the people who have the least voice in our society. They don't have a vote. They don't participate in campaigns. They require people who, are, who do have the vo- that voice to stand up for them. And if it's not going to be those of us in Congress, then who? He has shown himself to be a, a, a somewhat uh, punitive man politically. When he feels attacked, he's even boasted of punching back harder. And uh, because of that, there are some people in Northern California who say, well, on certain things, maybe we should accommodate him so that he doesn't single us out and deny federal funding, et cetera, et cetera. And others say, no, you can't accommodate him at all, that you just have to resist with full force. Do you have any thoughts on that? I'm more in the resistance camp. I mean, uh, and maybe this is my grandfather. There was no accommodation with British imperialism. And they, you know, they had uh, marches where uh, British officers beat Indian freedom resistors. And the, the sense wasn't, OK, let's accommodate them so they don't uh, engage in, in, in beating us. The sense was, let's continue to resist. Anything uh, worth fighting for, whether it was the freedom movement in India, whether it was the civil rights movement, uh, it never accommodates with uh, principles that are uh, abhorrent. If there is a different, if the administration proposed something that we actually thought was good for the country or good for people, I don't think we resist out of politics. But if they're doing things that are principally wrong, we shouldn't accommodate out of fear. Some things politically, no matter how hard you fight, he will find a way around. If it comes to a point that federal agents are in your district looking for undocumented immigrants to deport, would you advocate civil disobedience or just let it, let it you know, you no, fought as hard as you could politically and that's it? There is a point. I think there is a point of, of civil disobedience. I hope it won't come to that. Would you include yourself in being sure. civilly if, disobedient? If, 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 you know, I have a family history of it in terms of my grandfather. And if it came to a point where I thought there was a deep moral injustice where they were rounding up folks who were uh, going, living their, their lives in a bit in this country, and they're splitting families, and that there is a moment of moral leadership needed, uh, then I think I would. But I'd, I wouldn't put, single myself out for praise. I think a lot of people in the Bay Area, uh, from city council members to assembly members to members of Congress, would, and, 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 and grassroots activists. I, I think that's kind of the, who we are in this area. 
final question. In the initial years of the Obama administration, Republicans very publicly, before he even had a chance to establish himself, talked about how they were pretty much going to say no to everything and try to stop him at every measure. And Democrats ridiculed them for that. Are you concerned that Democrats are now put in the same position of having to say no to almost everything and leaving themselves open to that same type of criticism? No, because I disagree with the people who say we should just say no to everything simply for the sake of politics, simply for the sake of making sure that Elizabeth Warren or Cory Booker or whoever it is becomes president in four years. That's not my view. My view is we ought to resist all the list of things you said because they're wrong for the country. If tomorrow Trump were to propose that we want to increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour, I wouldn't say just resist that because we want to deny him a political win to beat him. I'd say I'd vote for it if he proposed a $15 minimum wage. If tomorrow Trump were to say I want to make college free, like uh, Bernie Sanders said, I'd vote for it. What McConnell and the Republicans said is we are going to oppose things that Obama does even if we agree with them because we want his political defeat. And I don't think uh, mimicking tactics that have hurt our country and brought our country apart is the right approach for Democrats. I think the right approach is still Michelle Obama's approach. When they go low, we go high. We need to continue to have the high ground in moral leadership, which whether it's two years, four years, eight years, 10 years, 20 years, is the right direction for this nation. And that means resisting with full conviction and vigor where we disagree, which is gonna be plenty of times with the Trump administration, but being open to supporting initiatives if they are consistent with our values. Rokana, thanks for joining us today, and congratulations on uh, your victory. Thank you. Thank you for the uh, great questions. You can subscribe to This Golden State on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and find us on San Francisco Magazine's website as well. If you like us, spread the word. Any comments or ideas, shoot me an email to shandabel at shandabel.com. That's S-H-A-N-D-O-B-I-L. Thanks for listening.